This week on a lively experiment, the waning days of the General Assembly features a flood of bills. We'll tell you what made it and what didn't. And will a U.S. Supreme Court decision have any effect on recently passed gun legislation here? A lively experiment is generously underwritten by... Hi, I'm John Hazenwhite, Jr. For over 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS. Joining us on the panel, Pablo Rodriguez, retired professor at the Warren Alpert School of Medicine, former Rhode Island Attorney General Arlene Violet, and Boston Globe reporter Ed Fitzpatrick. And welcome to this week's Lively. I'm Jim Hummel. We appreciate you spending part of your weekend with us. A $13.6 billion budget, driver's permits for undocumented residents, and an early phase-out of the car tax. Those are a few of the highlights from the General Assembly session that was consumed in its last weeks by gun control legislation. We'll get to that in a moment. Um, Ed Fitzpatrick, who came right over here from the session, we're taping on a Friday morning. He was there late Thursday night. I was going to say, give me a recap. Blake Filippi surprised everybody. That was really the, the headline from Thursday night, right? Yeah, that was. I, I came directly from the state house <laughs> here, and uh, yeah, that was the late night surprise that uh, uh, Representative Chippendale announced that Blake would not be running for re-election, and Ch and Michael Chippendale, the Republican from Forster, will be the. It became the new minority leader right away. David Place is taking his place as the House Minority Whip. So yeah, that that did. No one saw that coming. Uh, any? Were you able to find out? in interviews afterwards, or is that going to roll out over the next couple of days, you think? Yeah, I, I talked to Filippi right afterwards, and he, he didn't give any specific reason. He said it's a big decision. Uh, he knows the time is right. He felt this was the right time to make this move, and that he would talk about it more. Uh, you know, Chippendale made it clear that this was uh, a good reason that he was leaving, that it wasn't uh, anything to do with friction with the party. It didn't have to uh, do with any health concerns, that he was might have, ha might have an opportunity uh, that he's going to take advantage of. Is he going to run for governor? as an independent? Is that one of the opportunities? Well, I mean, you know, he uh, people were talking about him as a potential candidate for governor, and he decided not to do that. So I don't know. I don't see that. Arlene? Uh, I, I don't think he is going to be a candidate because he would not have nixed it to start with. Uh, it's probably going to be a business opportunity, but we're just going to have to wait and see. Yeah. Um, Pablo, and let, let me just disclose before we go, Pablo, you've been a longtime member of uh, our lively panel. You're also on the board of PBS, so we just want to disclose that before you begin. What do you think about the developments up there? I think, um, you know, this is a new legislature, um, you know, and this budget uh, does show uh, a number of priorities that uh, years back would never have happened uh, and didn't happen, uh, just like driver's uh, license for undocumented and a number of investments in public health uh, and maternal child health that are just absolutely fantastic uh, and that advocates have been fighting for for a long time. I mean, the fact that uh, we have expanded Medicaid for pregnant women uh, for a whole year, uh, regardless of 
um, your immigration status for the mother and for the child. It's just an incredible uh, development and, and something that uh, makes me very happy. Were there any other surprises? I mean, he kind of took the headline, but as things were going along over the course of the night, was it pretty pro forma or did anything strike you? It looked like it was going to be pretty pro forma for much of the night. You know, the Senate passed the, the budget and there was the uh, similar debate to what we saw in the House about some amendments that got shot down. Late in the session uh, in, the, in the Senate, there, there was some dispute about uh, a bill that came over that uh, suspended the, the penalties that would be applied to nursing homes that didn't meet staffing levels. And there was a lot of friction over that. Um, and, and that was taken up on immediate consideration. Uh, and it included naming uh, the CCRI campus for uh, uh, the former Senate President Teresa Piveweed. I also wonder, uh, Arlene, you know, the, the president just recently has called for a suspension of the federal gas tax, whether that's going to happen or not, because he's getting some resistance. <laughs> the leadership has been very hesitant to do that here in Rhode Island. And that could have been something, maybe it's a feel good, maybe it's we've got a $900 billion surplus. Would you favor something like that, or you think that's yeah, a sh well? F you know, for the three months, you know, certainly I think it should have been considered and perhaps passed. As you know, the argument against it is, first of all, it creates consumption because then people don't watch their gas use, so then they keep going every place, and we really should be conserving. The other aspect against it is, well, this is like a, a gift to rich people because the Mercedes they're driving is a gas guzzler, uh, et cetera. You know, but by the same token, the forgiveness of the car tax falls in that category because people who have, like, the Porsche don't have to pay the car tax. So the, the argument doesn't really hold weight when you see what the counterpoint is and they pass something uh, like making the car tax early. So, no, I, I thought it would have been a good idea for at least only three months, but to do that during this upcoming season. I think it's essential. I think poor people drive uh, to work. They don't have remote work. Uh, and uh, so, for example, Nelly Gorbea, whom, whom, you know, I support, um, also called for a gas tax uh, uh, holiday. Uh, her gas tax would have saved $8.50 of your F-150 truck every time you filled it up. If you combine that with Biden's uh, suggestion, you're talking about $13.50 that uh, an F-150 truck, Ford Ford truck, would save filling up the tank. And that, those are the vehicles that working people use. Uh, and uh, I remember uh, my, my, fa my father, you know, working and running out of money at the end of the month. If I had, if we had had thirteen dollars and fifty cents every week, we would have felt rich. <laughs> yeah, last night at the Senate, Senator uh, Jessica De La Cruz, a Republican from North Smithfield, proposed that amendment to uh, suspend the gas tax uh, for three months, I think. And she said, you know, put that together with what Biden is suggesting <clears throat> on the federal level, it would be substantial savings. But they rejected that, and Senator Pearson, the head of the Finance Committee, said, you can't guarantee that the savings are going to go to the customer. That He said in other states, up to 80% of it has gone to the oil companies. So, And he said enforcement mechanisms were difficult. If that were true, then we shouldn't have the tax at all if we really can't verify that it's going into the corpus to fix the roads, et cetera. So from my perspective, that argument is fallacious. The other part is it does hurt the economy. Many people are weighing and measuring where they go. They don't go to a restaurant or they don't go someplace. That means that vendor or that owner of that business doesn't have those people coming into 
the place of business. Uh, so I thought it was really short-sighted. They didn't do it for three months. The larger issue is the budget keeps growing, and it's hard to know. Like four years ago, it was $9 billion. I know it's right. been inflated because of, we've talked about One it on time. the show, because of the COVID money. <clears throat> you, the legislature added $700 billion, million, million. million billion, all's the same, right, to what the governor had requested. So you wonder where we're going to be next year, yeah. the following year, the following year. Well, that's the issue. It's something that we've done. It's a, it's a, a long tradition in Rhode Island uh, to kick the can down the road uh, of all the expenditures. And um, in reality, we really need to start thinking about those out years, uh, because if we go into a recession, uh, which many economists are predicting, uh, we could be in very sad yes. shape. And as fast as the deficit disappeared this year, it can grow <laughs> next year if all of a sudden tax revenues are not coming in uh, and removing the car, the car tax and everything else and uh, keeping up with all the promises that uh, the gubernatorial candidates are <laughs> making. Forget it. <laughs> what about... Uh, yeah, the House Speaker Shikachi was asked about that during the budget briefing. He said, well, I'm, I'm not going to turn down the federal money if they're going to give it to us. It, it can help Rhode Island. So, But it, it has grown substantially in recent years. What about the Providence pension bailout? A and it now seems that we've read that Springfield passed a similar thing and they're, they're backing off on it because the interest rates are, are skyrocketing. Now, they don't have to borrow that money, but there didn't seem to be as much resistance as I thought. Is that because the Providence delegation was behind it and the General Assembly would kind of defer to them, or what was your sense? Yeah, you, you had uh, members of the Providence delegation really going to bat for that. I remember Senator Sam Zurier from Providence talking uh, out in favor of voting for that when it came to a, a referendum for Providence voters. So so yeah, that went forward. That's saying? the quintessential example of what kicking Dr. Rodriguez just said about <laughs> kicking the can. It, it really doesn't help. And the fact of the matter is that system has to be reformed. And rather than take the bull by the horns and reform the pension system in Providence, they're just delaying the inevitable. And frankly, I, I think that that referendum is stupid. All right. This was a great opportunity for, for reform. We, we should have used the fact that we're going to get this money, we're going to shore up the system for the future, you know, employees of the, of, of the city. But at the same time, let's fix some of these, you know, loopholes that are making people making $200,000 a year in retirement. It just doesn't make any sense, and it's unsustainable, even with this influx right. of money. Yeah, and the resumption of the COLAs. I think yeah. that's what's really going to gonna drive it. Um, gun legislation, we've talked about it here the last <coughs> couple of weeks, and it's interesting, the Supreme Court case, we'll get to that in a second, may affect what's going on in Rhode Island or not. Uh, let me start with you, Arlene. Um, Peter Narona, Attorney General, said we're ready to defend the laws that went in, the uh, raising the age from 18 to 21, I think is pretty bulletproof. Yes. No pun intended. Uh, the uh, excess magazine, the larger yes. magazine capacity, and then the long rifles. Yeah. Do you see any legal I, I think, no, I think Peter uh, Nerona is correct, even with the Supreme Court decision from the United States that uh, just was rendered. Uh, there's a, and there's dicta, which it means it's not a holding, but it's language in the decision that talks about the fact that this doesn't remove all regulation. And there have been courts, uh, the California Court of Appeals, New Jersey Court of Appeals, that actually had the issue of a magazine and how many bullets you could put in it, and they upheld uh, the limitations on that because the thesis is, while even the United States Supreme Court says you have a right to defend yourself, that doesn't mean you have a right to defend yourself with an Uzi. So having a gun that's a so-called regular gun is enough for defense, which those two courts 
ruled back then. So they upheld magazine limitations uh, in, in both those states. So I think Narone is correct that uh, what was passed by the Rhode Island General Assembly will <clears throat> ultimately be sustained as constitutional. This legislation was all but dead until Uvalde and Oklahoma yeah. and a couple. I mean, they were really not talking about gun control at all yeah. up there, were they? Yeah, that that I, I really do think that uh, turned the tide. I think there was going to be some incremental movement on gun legislation this year until that happened. And then you had quite a powerful uh, rally there outside the state. So with all the general officers, with union leaders stepping up and saying uh, they wanted to see those three pieces of gun legislation passed. Um, I do think they'll be challenged, um, yes. but it, I think that's separate from what happened with the Supreme Court. That had to do with concealed carry. We're one of those six states that have similar laws to New York, you know, um, also lower uh, gun violence rates. Um, so I think you could see a, a challenge on uh, concealed carry here in Rhode Island and coming from that Supreme <coughs> Court case. Well, what was interesting, when I was on last with Nick Gorham, we talked about the fact that under uh, what we consider Rhode Island's Constitution, the Second Amendment, right. uh, that you uh, you have a right to a gun. When I was Attorney General, unlike my brother, Attorneys General, before me and after me, I thought people did have a constitutional right to carry to defend themselves. That's exactly what the Supreme Court decision finally has come out on the federal level is saying. So, so having said that, I think what will definitely change is no longer can Attorneys General or, or police chiefs, for that matter, deny the right to, for a gun permit or to carry a gun uh, for people and just say, well, you have to show need. I never thought you had to show need uh, to start with, and this decision certainly amplifies you don't need need. You have a constitutional right to defend yourself. I did a story on this 10 years ago, and I remember talking to a local chief. So as you know, you can go to your local chief to get the concealed carry permit or the AG's yeah. office. He just routinely turned them down. He said, I don't feel, he knows our men are trained, men and women, but he said, I don't feel comfortable having civilians <laughs> carrying guns who aren't trained. And I'm like, well, that's not now passing constitutional muster. I don't trust the Supreme Court as far <laughs> as they, I can throw them. Well, you got a couple okay? other decisions you're looking at, too, right? That's exactly right. Uh, I mean, who would have thought that Roe versus Wade was at risk? Who would have thought that stare decisis, uh, Madam yes. Lawyer, uh, would be at risk in the Supreme Court and the decision of 50 years that have been reaffirmed multiple times would be at risk? So I don't trust them. I, I think that all gun legislation are at risk uh, with the Supreme Court. And the irony is that, that that decision comes right before Congress finally moved on some gun legislation. Yeah. So <laughs> despite that, that long wait for some action on the federal level, it might be a net loss. Uh, in that, in that, for for gun rights, uh, gun control advocates. So it, it'll be interesting. And you know, the, with the Supreme Court decision, the focus is going to be the caveat is you can't have concealed carry in sensitive areas. What are those? Uh, is that is that schools? Is it the Supreme Court? I bet it's not. Um, it'll be interesting to see where they carve out those areas. Yeah, my recollection on it's funny you talked about that thing with Nick. Nick was saying the Rhode Island Constitution is there. You can't no abridgment, right? That it was even well. No more abridgment meaning I mean always. This case law that talks about the fact of reasonable regulation. So you know, all that legislation that talks about the you know red flag laws, I think all of that's going to be constitutional. Ages, 
distinctions, all of that is going to be okay because that is not a fundamental abridgment. But if you have a constitutional right, people aren't supposed to say to you, well, you have to show me that you need that constitutional right. You either have it or you don't. But as Dr. Rodriguez pointed out, the court is definitely looks like it's not going to follow through when it comes to the issue of women's right to choose. So you have one constitutional right to carry a gun, but you have no constitutional right to decide about your body. So there's a disconnect, I think, in that United States Supreme Court. And quite mm -hmm. frankly, I don't trust them either. Don't come after the First Amendment, right, Ed? <laughs> <laughs> Just stay away from the First Amendment. Um, yeah, who, right. who would have thought that the state treasurer's race all of a sudden was going to have a little spice to it? For those of you who have not been keeping your scorecard, former Central Falls Mayor James Deosa, a Democrat, is now being challenged on the Democratic side by... Uh, Commerce Secretary, former Commerce Secretary Stephen Pryor. And uh, Pablo, we were talking about this a little bit before. If we can put up on the screen, tw uh, uh, Diosa put up a Twitter account that is Pryor for Rhode Island. So clearly it makes it sound, and they makes deny sense. it, that Stephen Pryor, anyhow, it's a lot of foolishness in my mind, but. It's the problem with social media and politics. You know, everybody wants to be cute. Everybody wants to be smarter than the other guy. And I don't think that does anything other than getting the Twitter sphere, you know, you know, running around. Uh, it really, I think, is just not, not smart. Uh, and, it and it's become the news as opposed to, <laughs> yeah. you know, you know what, what am I for and what am I going to do for the, for the state of Rhode Island? Right, and he's also put up a lot of retweets. He doesn't tw the prior for Rhode Island account doesn't tweet a lot, but he retweets. There was a picture of James Deosa, like, with his kid on Father's Day, and it said, Prior for Rhode Island retweeted that he that he liked it. It just it ah, drives me crazy. As the only candidate, I guess that <laughs> has run for office. I was disappointed that Diosa did that. I, I I think it's dirty pool. I really do. And uh, you know, obviously, it does feed the Twitter mania uh, that exists in the world. But I just thought he would be better than that as a candidate. Yeah, d this week Diosa filed a Hatch Act complaint against Pryor, saying yeah, that you know, as a state he was a state employee and a candidate, state employee with federal funds coming in uh, that he managed. Um, but I, you know, at the same time, the, the, a lot of the attention was focused on this Twitter account, and as as you said. Uh, uh, it came across as tomfoolery. I think that Hatch Act is a it's a reach, and it's, I don't know the last time somebody was prosecuted for a Hatch Act thing. Gina Raimondo, as a sitting Commerce Secretary, was headliner at Brett Smiley's yeah. fundraiser for mayor. So mm -hmm. I mean, really, if you but what disappoints me is this race. Ultimately, they're a Republican on the other side, James Lathrop, who they'll eventually get to. I mean, think of the think of the consequences of having somebody in the yeah. treasurer's office who knows what they're doing financially. Yeah. Didn't the General Assembly just uh, now uh, remove the classified employees? They used to be banned oh, under right. Rhode Island's mm -hmm. version of the Hatch Act from running, sure. and they just removed that mm -hmm. as an obstacle, so it's even foolish. Yeah, exactly. So we'll see what happens there. The governor's race um, continues to plug along Nellie Gorbea. Secretary of State came up with her first ad this week, and what really caught people's attention on that was she's proposing an increase on the corporation's tax. Of course, her uh, many of her opponents jumped on that. Ed, we haven't really talked about the governor's race much on this show. We've been, uh, you know, tied up with the General Assembly. Your thought at this snapshot in time? We're getting pretty close to the primary. Yeah, yeah, it's not that far away. And, uh, yeah, that ad went up, and she got a lot of criticism, especially from Governor McKee 
and Helena folks, uh, some of the more moderates, and uh, not so much from some of the more progressive candidates. And so I'd be interested to hear from Dr. Rodriguez, what do you think's the value of that uh, ad was? Because she took a lot of criticism for, uh, for it, and uh, I don't know, did she get the value out of it? Uh, well, the value will be obtained once you start talking about it. Uh, as a percentage of total revenue, Rhode Island relies on corporate tax less than the national average and only half as much as Connecticut and Massachusetts. People don't know that. I mean, you know, so bringing us to the level of Massachusetts is not going to be the end of the world. And probably the whole process is going to raise maybe 50, 55 million dollars. So it's not, we're not talking about inordinate amounts of money. It's the principle of the thing of, of if you are doing well, you should pay your fair share. And we have a crisis in Rhode Island, a crisis of housing that needs to be addressed. And it benefits corporations for their employees to be able to afford a But don't home. you think that's a tough sell when we're a with federal money, and that's what the General Assembly leaders said. I mean, that might be an idea we want to consider, but at this snapshot in time, I don't know. It is looking at the future. It's not depending on one-shot deals that we're do doing now and, and trying to work for the future and paying for what you're promising. You know, because, you know, the problem with politicians today is that they all promise all these goodies, you know, that we're going to do this, we're going to do that, but they no, don't show any way to pay them. She's saying, I'm going to help fix housing and I'm going to start paying for it. I think it was important for her to finally come out because the other women running for governor, whether it's Ashley Collis or uh, Ms. Folks, they have their ads out there. And I kept saying, when's Nellie going to start her ads? So I think she had to do something. But as the initial message, I think it was a tactical mistake. Yes, the corporate tax issue is an issue, but it's of the future. I think she stumbled in the ad by saying, uh, I don't come from an influential family, because that was a shot against Helena Folks, oh. you know, being in the Dodd, Bonanno family, et cetera. And then, of course, Go Local Prob did the thing about, oh, yeah, your father's a big guy in Puerto Rico, et cetera. So she came out. That was a good thing. The bad thing was the content of the ad as her first try. I, I can see, like, some progressive candidates have been proposing uh, taxing the rich, the richest 1%. So I, I think in a Democratic primary, there might be... Uh, that might be attractive in some ways, but I do I do think it gave a line of attack. Like folks is already using the the Nelly tax phrase, and uh, it gave a line of attack to McKee and folks in in that contest. We haven't had you on since the WPRI poll. It was 25 McKee, 23 Gorbea. I think she showed a lot more than a lot of people. Did that surprise you? It's real. It's virtually neck and neck. Now that that was a month to six weeks ago. But <coughs> still, Excuse me. Yeah. She hadn't been up on the air and really hadn't done any. She's working behind the scenes, but no public. So. Yeah, I think the the criticism that we saw this week shows that she's being treated. Uh, Dan, Dan McGowan had a column this morning talking about <coughs> the, uh, the criticism she's taking over the ad shows she's being treated like a front runner or. Uh, you know, just ahead of McKee, perhaps, and um, or, or tied. And, you know, uh, Matt Brown has similar uh, proposals for taxing the rich. He's not getting criticized for that because he's not seen as much of a threat. We'll give you the final word on that. It, it's a left-leading primary. Uh, and the people who vote in, pri in Democratic primaries are mostly left. So, you know, tactically, you know, you look at your, at your constituency and you play for them. All right. I do want to get to the January 6th committee, but let's do this. Let's do outrages and or kudos first. Mr. Fitzpatrick, do you have something this week? Well, I always have a journalism-related one. Someone threw a brick through the window of a reporter in uh, Massachusetts who worked for New Hampshire Public Radio and wrote, uh, this is just the beginning. I hope it's the end. I hope it's the end of... Uh, 
politicians or uh, political advocates trying to intimidate reporters. Yeah, that's a good one, short and sweet. Ms. Violet? Uh, this, this is just an observation that little in my lifetime did I know anybody would out Nixon, Nixon, but Donald Trump has. Mm. Yeah, we'll get to that in just a second. You're smiling. Well, I am tired of being outraged, so I'm going to break my streak, and I am going to give a kudos. Well, let's get this to, on tape. To Blake Filippi. Yes. Uh, for, you know, um, saying that uh, license for undocumented people makes sense, and it's ridiculous to think that I'm not going to give this to my undocumented friends. To break with his party so <coughs> that we can have bipartisanship in this country uh, and that we can have good Republicans like we used to have. <laughs> There's still a couple of good ones around. Um, let's talk about that January 6th committee. And, you know, I've read an awful lot. I, I've wa I'll be honest with you, I've watched in and out on the hearings. I've mainly read the recaps. The depths to which Donald Trump went are, are chilling and far worse than what Nixon did, in my mind. And mm -hmm. you still have Republicans. They're all like, la, 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 la. I don't want uh -huh. to see it. Yeah, it's uh, it's very disturbing, uh, you know, from my perspective to see the lengths that he went to continue the big lie. The worst part, of course, is his attempt to really uh, uh, bastardize the Justice Department. Attorneys general are supposed to be the attorneys of the people. The Justice Department is supposed to be the people's lawyers on the federal level. And for him to try that ploy and then ultimately put in an environmental lawyer who is going to do his bidding by uh, the false narrative, I, I think nothing is more hurtful to the republic uh, than that last uh, expose on what he did. So, uh, you know, I, I hope in history, uh, when history is written, and I know it gets written written by the victors rather than the vanquished. But I, I think he should go down in history as really someone who could have brought down this country. Yeah, you talk about outrages. I think no matter what party you're in, you should be outraged when you heard Richard Donahue uh, testify before the January 6th committee. He's a, a, a deputy, acting DOJ, deputy yeah. attorney general. And he said, uh, Trump said to him, you know, you tell me it was corrupt and I'll take it from there with the Republican Congress. I mean, we sh that, that's corruption. We should be outraged. What blows me away is that all these Republican candidates that are trying to out-Trump Trump, Trump yeah. uh, throughout the country, though that's the real problem right now, uh, because Trump is going to be gone uh, eventually. And but, that's already but, showing, I but think, his, his streak, But his yeah. streak of, of viciousness that uh, is being demonstrated in primaries, in Republican primaries throughout the country, is something that is going to last for a while. Well, and you got guys like Ron DeSantis, who are Trump 2.0. I also, I found it fascinating that a lot of people, Trump is now upset with Kevin McCarthy, who's been trying to be speaker for how long? Um, not, kind of lukewarm on his support. He's upset that McCarthy pulled the Republicans off of that committee. He, they originally had five, including Jim Jordan, who was, you know, mm -hmm. tied up to his neck with it. And now they're saying we should have had Republicans that we like, not Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, which I find fascinating because then they would be able to maybe do a little bit more cross-examination. It's a fascinating political dynamic. It is, and the Republican Party censored Cheney and Kinzinger for, for uh, you know, taking part in that whole thing. So, yeah, it, it is fascinating. Yeah, they decided, actually, to board the boat. Uh, and I, I feel awful, as a Republican candidate in the past, of what has happened to the Republican Party. Uh, they're the party of no. They're a party of discrimination. They're a party of anti-immigrant. 
uh, and it just profoundly disturbs me that they're not for the principles which made this country great. And frankly, many of their, these partisan uh, Republicans uh, are really destroying the united in United States. You wonder how this is, you know, look, inflation and gas prices and everything, everybody's been talking about the midterms. I think people are looking at what's right in front of their face, and it'll be interesting to see, will this have any effect to say, look, this is what the Republicans did. Do we want that? I, I don't, that's a crystal ball question for the fall, but what do you think? I, I, I wish it was the case, but I don't think so. I think people are more concerned about uh, inflation and gas prices, and people are tired of talking about 2020. They want to move forward. Um, and unfortunately, you know, it's working for these primary Republicans, you know, to be, you know, Trump 2.0. And then you wonder, Arlene, just quickly, you wonder if the Republicans do take over the House, then we get into that gridlock that we had the last two years of Donald Trump's Yeah, Yeah, and, and, yeah I think the Republicans are going to regain control in Congress, for sure, and it's because of the bread and butter issues. Okay. Folks, that is all the time we have. Pablo, good to see you. And Ed, get some sleep today and this weekend. And Arlene, always great to My see pleasure. you. Folks, if you don't catch us Friday at 7 or Sunday at noon, we're all over social media. Check out our Facebook page, our Twitter account, and we archive all of our shows at ripbs.org lively and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. So take us along in the car or maybe on a walk. Uh, we will be back here with all the latest uh, kind of maybe a retro, a week's retrospective on the General Assembly and whatever else comes up. Come back next week as the Lively Experiment continues. Have a great week. Experiment is generously underwritten by. Hi, I'm John Hazen White Jr. For over 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS.